Sweet. So yeah, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to pick up where we were in this little uh, epistle of Paul to the Philippian church. And as we dive in, let's, uh, let's come to the place of prayer this morning. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the chance to gather around the word of God, Lord, to come to you and say, God, would you speak to us? Would you teach us? Lord, we, we come just with that heart that recognizes that man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Lord, this is true food this morning. This is the, this is the real meal. And so, Lord, we just we want to hear you speak to us. Would you transform our lives, God? We, we pray for that, Lord. We, as we've been seeing in Philippians, God, we don't want to be people who are outwardly conformed to some religion. We want to be people who have an inward transformation by your spirit. And so would you work in our hearts, help us to see the wonderful things that are in your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Right on. So we're in, we're in this section here, really, Paul is still discussing citizenship in the kingdom. We've seen this throughout the various weeks that, that Philippi was this unique city that was colonized by Rome. Uh, the citizens, though they were in in the area of uh, Greece, were given full Roman citizenship. And, and so to be there and to be in that city was a great benefit to be a part of this colony. And Paul has been taking this picture of being colonized by Rome and he's making the application of being colonized by heaven. By, by this picture of being a citizen of heaven and and really the filter that we're looking through with regards to this whole section for me starts in verse 27 of chapter 1. Check it out. It says this. Only let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so Paul says this. It's the filter which we've been just shoving this text through. It's the context for us is that Paul says, live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's saying this, live like a citizen. You're a citizen of, kingdom, uh, of the kingdom of heaven. And so you're to, to live that way. And so where we left off in our Philippian series here was that in chapter three, and we saw some of the responsibilities and the obligations of citizenship. And, the, and they were this, they were threefold. I'll just remind you, because we're going to kind of just build off of that. And it, and, and they're this from verse 1 of chapter 3. A responsibility of citizenship in the kingdom of heaven is this. We are to rejoice in the Lord. Verse 2, the second is this. That we are to be aware that there are dangers. Remember, beware the dogs. Lock out, look out for the evildoers, those who are of the uh, circumcision. And then, so we're to be aware of dangers. And then the third thing Paul said was this, is that we're to know the true marks of, of, of citizenship, uh, verse three, for they are this, those who worship by the spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And then Paul did this. He took himself and he made himself the example. He said, if anybody was an example of this, of, of what a dog was, what a mutilator of the flesh was, it was me. And Paul gives his list of credentials he, he comes to this assessment of his own life and now he's going to like 
talk about the outworkings of citizenship in heaven. What does it look like for us? And he uses himself as an example. So let's just, let's just uh, pick it up in verse 7 where we're going to see that he begins talking about counting all his loss. Actually, let's back it up. Let's go verse 3. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Just a little, you know, not bragging or anything like that, Paul says. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. So Paul says this, because of Jesus, I made a decision that I'm gonna let go of my spiritual resume. You know, we all got one of those resumes. You ever applied for a job, you know, you've gotta prep your resume and you list your credentials and you go and you meet that employer and you shake their hand and you look them in the eye and you say, I'm so-and-so, here's my resume and these are my credentials and this is why I would be valuable for you to, to hire. And Paul says this, when it comes to Jesus, he said, I let go of my resume. I tore that up. That, that didn't matter. Everything that looked so good on the list, you know, his heredity, his piety, you know, his Pharisee, his, he's a Pharisee, his training, he's this, he's that. He says this, none of it matters. None of it matters for the sake of Christ Jesus. I, I let go of that. Verse eight, he says, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So Paul, as he tears up the resume, not only counted those things as lost, but he did this. He, he, he tore it up, but then he continued to make that the practice of his life. He's talking in accounting terms here. He says, I, I, I'm, I'm going to continue to apply to my life this same practice of accounting. I'm not going to count the stuff that I do for the kingdom. I, I'm not going to represent myself by the things that I've done. I continue to count everything as a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. You know, you think about it. It's not enough that I count a loss the things of my past. W whatever it might be, you know, it's not enough to say... You know, 15 years ago, I did this for the kingdom. I was witnessing. I did, I did this or I did that. I was sharing my faith. I was involved in this ministry. I was serving in this church. Oh, in the past, I like gave up this privilege for the sake of the kingdom. And, you know, you think about it. It's like if, if what I did 5 or 10 or 15 years ago or whatever I gave up concerning my fleshly desires, even last month, if that doesn't translate into the present practice of following and desiring to know Jesus, it means nothing. Paul says, whatever it is, I counted a loss. What matters is this, is I want to know Jesus. 
I want to know him in the present. And when I look at the future direction of my life, I want to know him. In verse 8, he continues. He says this, for, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. We're going to move fairly quickly this morning. And then we're going to try and wrap it up a bit. Pull together a bit. But he says this, for, the sake, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You know, John the Baptist said this. He said that, that a man cannot receive anything unless it's given to him from heaven. And whatever we think that we've attained, you know, whatever we think that we have on the basis of our good works, our dedication, our faithfulness, our hard work, our brilliance, our good looks, whatever you want to put on the list, uh, if we're counting on those things, there's going to be a famine of fruitfulness in our lives. Everything that we're to do is we're to do for the, for the glory of God. And Paul says, I, I, I count these things as rubbish in order that I, may, that I may gain Christ. And in verse 9 he goes on, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So again, Paul says, I let the resume go. I let their credentials go. I see what it is. I see what that stuff is with the spiritual eye. He says, it's rubbish. It's literally, it's dung. Literally, it's cow patties. You know, pasture pies, I think that's what they call them. That's what he says it is. That's what my resume is before the Lord. And you know, the truth is for you and I, when, we, when you became a Christian, not only did Jesus come into your heart, but the word of God teaches us that we were robed in him that we were clothed in his righteousness, that we were covered by him, and that it's that righteousness which saves us. Saves us. Before Jesus, before Jesus in the life of Paul, righteousness was his goal. He was, he was the Pharisee. He was the one who was like, if, like we said, if anyone deserved to be saved, Paul deserved to be saved. But we know this, it was self-righteousness, a works righteousness, uh, a works righteousness that never actually could attain salvation. But when Paul trusted Jesus, he lost that self-righteousness and he trusted in the righteousness of Christ. So he said, whatever, whatever I got, it's, it's garbage. It's rubbish. It's, it's pasture pie. Verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You know, becoming a Christian for Paul and for you and I, it's the same thing. It's not the end. Becoming a Christian is the beginning. That's when life starts. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus. And Paul's experience with Jesus transformed his life. It was, it was very personal. If you know Jesus, a relationship with Jesus is very personal. Uh, personal. And so Paul said this, he said, I desire to know Jesus. When he was living as a Pharisee, he, what he had was this. He had a set of rules. But when he came to know Jesus, you know what he had? A friend. A savior. And Christianity is not a set of rules. Don't you love that about our faith? Our, our faith is about a relationship. Christianity is about friendship 
with Jesus. And, and Paul's saying this, I, I want to know Jesus. And that's a, that's a powerful thing. That's a powerful relationship to know Christ. Paul speaks of resurrection power. And that, that power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you and I as we get to know Jesus. That, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead was at work in Paul and it's at work in you and I as we get to know Jesus. Jesus lives in us. That, that, that's powerful. But at the same time, Paul says, it's, I want to I even know him even if it takes suffering. It could be painful. You experience pain in terms of getting to know Jesus. Paul knew what it was like to suffer for the sake of Christ. And suffering for Christ had been part of his experience from early on. You remember when he first got saved, he got knocked off that high horse and he went into that city of Damascus and immediately he began preaching Jesus. And what happened? Right from the start, there were people who were planning to take his life. He had to be lowered out of that city in a basket over the wall so that he could escape those who wanted to take his life. And, and the truth is, as we grow in the knowledge of Jesus and experience his power, we, we can come under attack. We can come under suffering. We can come under the attack of the enemy. Paul had been a persecutor of those who followed Jesus. And now, what did he learn? He learned what it was like to be persecuted. And so Paul lived for Jesus by dying to himself. He, he took up his cross daily he followed him, and, and the result of this death was a spiritual resurrection in his life. Resurrection power was being manifested in him. And, and Paul gained far more than he lost. When he, when he began to make that decision to follow Jesus, he, he gained far more than he lost. And the truth is, that's the same for you and I. That's why Paul could say, everything I thought was so valuable, it's actually rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. And so Paul had this spiritual mind that, that looked at uh, things from a heavenly point of view. A heavenly point of view as he took an accounting and so he, of his life. And so he said this, what I want to do is I want to press on towards the goal. Look at verse 12. Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. On that road to Damascus, as Paul was on his way to persecute Christians and was knocked to the ground, the Lord said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? was the voice from heaven. What did he say? He said, who are you, Lord? And the answer from heaven was this, I, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting it's hard for you to kick against the goads. And so Paul said, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? And at that moment, right at that moment, Paul was apprehended. He was captivated by Jesus. And so as he, as he considers being captivated by Jesus, he's saying this to us. He's saying, I'm not perfect yet. I haven't arrived. And, and you know, the same is true for you and I. Eh? We're, we're, we're not perfect. None of us have arrived. I mean, I always just love that saying that says, you know, I'm not, by the grace of God, I'm not who I used to be. And by the grace of God, I'm not yet what I'm going to be. We're in process. And Paul says, I'm not perfect yet. And I know that I will have, I guess, captured 
that which I was captured for when I reach heaven. When I get to go home, when I as a citizen living here in Philippi with you or chained here in Rome get to go home and be with Jesus, then I will fully have captured citizenship. Look at verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Man, it's getting warm in here already, isn't it? Do we want the AC on or are we okay? We're good? Okay. You know, I think about this. Paul says, I, I, one thing I do, I forget what lies behind me and I strain forward to what lies ahead. You know, some people are always looking back. Some Christians are like that. They spend their whole life looking back. You know, they can't get over what happened. Can't get over what happened five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. This person hurt me. This church did this. This leader did that. This happened, that happened. You know what Paul says? He says just the opposite. He says, this is what I do. I forget what lies behind me. You know, maybe even it's failure or sin or dropping the ball somewhere in our own lives and it's like, I can't get over the hurdle of how I failed the Lord. And Paul just says the opposite. I, I do this. I forget what lies behind me and I strain forward for that which is in, what, in front of me. And this is the mind that's to be in us as we follow Jesus. I, I love that he says, this is one thing that I do. I love that because I'm like a simple guy. It's not 10 things. Here, just do these 10 things. Check, 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 check. <laughs> Here, do these five things. Do these three things. Paul says one thing. There's one thing that I do. I concentrate my effort on this. I am straining for what's in front of me. I'm not living in the past. You know, the sin that you've committed in the past, it will condemn you. If you're hanging on to that, you know, I want to remind you, the blood of Christ was sufficient for that. When you brought it to Jesus, it was done. He took care of it. And focusing on past failures, wherever you've dropped the ball, that leads to a spiritual paralysis. You will, you will stop where you are and you might start to go backwards if you're looking backwards. The good stuff, maybe you did some amazing stuff for the kingdom of God at some point in time by his grace. If you focus on that, then you know what will happen? You're looking back and you say, oh, it was this in the past. Your heart will puff up with pride. And you get knocked off the course that way. And Paul's choice is a good one to follow. What did he do? He said, I forget the past. You know, there are things in the past that maybe we rejoice and we say, thank God you did that. Thank God I overcame that. Thank God I left that behind. Those were good days. We don't live there. We forget what's behind us. And we have to be those who say, I'm, I'm not going to be tripped up by that. I'm not going to dwell on that. I'm not going to be paralyzed by that. I'm not going to glory in that. I'm not going to be confused by the past. All that's behind me. It's in the rearview mirror. And I'm moving on in the present and in my future with Jesus. I'm looking forward and I'm straining towards that. Look at verse 15. Paul says this. Let those of us who are mature think this way. 
This is an attitude of maturity in Christian faith. And so that's a good check for me. It's a good check for you. Because if there are areas where we're looking back, that's a sign of immaturity, isn't it? It's the very opposite. And so this is the attitude of maturity that is to be in us. You know, if it's sin, bring it to the cross. If it's past glory by the grace of God, hey man, praise God. But move forward. Let this attitude of maturity be in you. And he goes on in verse 15 and says, And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. I love that line. Because it's like I take hope in this because he's saying this. God will correct you. If, if you're in him, if your mind is dwelling on the past, if you're defeated because of someone else's past, God will bring it to light. He'll, he'll bring it to the surface. He'll correct you. But you should know this. The heart and attitude of maturity is looking forward. Looking forward. Verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Yeah, where we've gone on ahead, let's keep doing it, he says. I, I, I've just been encouraged lately just sensing this in my, in my own life. And even I think it's probably born out of cruising through Philippians. But this kind of dissatisfaction, it's like essential. To be, to be moving forward in Christ, you got to be dissatisfied with where you are. You know, it's like a gift from the Lord. We talked about that a number of, of weeks back. It's, it's essential to progress and to move forward. And so Paul had that. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm not living in the past. I'm not rejoicing. I'm like, I want to move forward in Jesus and progress spiritually. And he begins to talk now about some of the enemies of the cross. Verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. But keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Who are these enemies? He doesn't tell us. We don't know. But we can see how they live through what, what Paul is teaching here and what he tells us here. And as, as we see here, this was a situation when Paul thought about the Philippians. This was what brought him to tears. Not for himself. They were tears shed for other people because they were walking. The pattern of their lives were this. They were living as enemies of the cross of Christ even though they were confessing Jesus. Paul was writing about people who professed to be Christians. But they were not heavenly minded. They were earthly minded. They were holding on to earthly rituals that God had given to, maybe the rituals that God had given to Israel. And in doing so, what were they doing? They were opposing and resisting the blessings that belongs to those who are in Christ Jesus. They were walking as enemies of the cross. That was the direction of their life. The tr their their uh, travel pattern. The pattern of their life. Verse 19 says this, their end is destruction, their God is their belly and their glory and they glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. Paul shows us what are some of the, fact, what are some of the identifiable factors of those who are walking as enemies of the cross. Well, he says their God is their belly. He said they live 
for the appetites of the, of the flesh. They live for their own glory. They're, they're living to make a name for themselves and their mind is set on earthly things. They're living for things which are, are temporary. And Paul says these are the marking points of those who are enemies of the, cro- of the cross. And, and their lives will prove to be a destruction or literally a waste. And so Paul's calling these Philippian believers to, to have a, a spiritual mind and he does this by pointing out and contrasting characteristics of a Christian whose citizenship is in heaven. And this is what I want us to see this morning. The blessed hope of the believers. And so verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so as we, as we yap about the outworkings of citizenship in heaven and what it looks like, we need to know some things. Paul says this. This is some things I, I think we see in this text. First is this. Our names are to be on heaven's record. You know, the citizens of Philippi were privileged. They were, they were citizens of Rome, of the Roman Empire. When a baby was born in that empire, in that city, it was important that that child be registered. They were registered with the government. Their name was recorded just like we do. And the scripture teaches us that when a lost sinner trusts in Jesus and becomes a citizen, not of this earth, but of heaven, their name is written down where? In the book of life. They're registered in heaven. Because citizenship's important. And when you travel, last couple weeks, did a bit of traveling. When you travel to another country, even to the U.S. now, what, it's important that you have your passport. You got to have your passport because it proves your citizenship. And having your name written down in the book of life is what determines your entrance into the heavenly country. And when we confess the name of Jesus on earth, Jesus said this, if you confess me before men, I'll confess your name before my father. It's a great picture. You confess me before men and I'll confess you before my father who is in heaven. And in your name, it'll be written down forever. Luke chapter 10 verse 20 says this. Jesus said this. He said, rejoice that your name is written down in heaven. Remember, Paul says this. It's one of the obligations of the kingdom that you're to be those who rejoice. Jesus says, here's something you should rejoice in. Rejoice your name is written down. You're a citizen of the kingdom. And those words from Luke chapter 10 verse 20 of of our names being written down are in the perfect tense. Did you know that? It means, what it means is this. That once your name is written down, it's written down. Once your name is written down, it is written down once and for all. An entrance into heaven will be ours if we've trusted in Jesus. Our names are written down and we'll enter heaven and it won't be on the basis of my resume, but on Jesus' resume, on his work, on his merit on his intercession, on his confession of my name before his Father in heaven. The second thing I think about the outworkings of citizenship, 
that needs to happen in our lives is this, is we need to speak heaven's language. You know, those who have their mind on earthly things talk about earthly things. And we say this, the scripture tells us this, that what comes out of our mouth reveals what's in our heart. And the unsaved person does not understand the things of God's spirit. Those who follow Jesus speak differently. It's like, you know, I think sometimes over the last number of years, we like, we've beat the church for Christianese. We say, oh, don't talk like, you know, you need to change your language. But the reality is, is there is a certain language that is specific to our country. I'm like one of those guys when I'm around Americans, they're like, are you Scottish? You know, they like ask me this thing. I'm like, no, I'm West Coast, West Coast, West Coast Canadian. And that's what you're hearing. I think that's what you're hearing. Anyways, we always have a laugh about it because Americans always do that to me. And uh, it's like, there is something that identifies where I come from. And it's the way that I speak. And we have to speak heaven's language. And, and the unsafe person doesn't, doesn't understand the things of God. So how can they intelligently talk about the things of the spirit? How can the unsaved person intelligently talk about the things of the spirit? And the answer is, is they can't because they don't know Jesus. It's like, I know my wife. Come and try and talk to me intelligently about my wife. Well, actually, I think I know her better than you. And it's the same true with those who know Jesus versus those who don't. And so there's a language that happens. Citizens of heaven understand spiritual things and they enjoy talking about them. Do you enjoy talking about Jesus? Yeah. Joan and I had such a great experience. We were, we were flying out of California. We were dropping off our rental car and uh, we got into the, the shuttle. It was a little shuttle, uh, just a van. And we got in with this guy, his name was Alfonso, I didn't. And we were like minutes from, from the airport. And uh, he says, how, how, you heading home? I said, yeah. Were you on a holiday? He said, no, actually I was at a conference. Oh really, what, what kind of conference? So I was at a, a, a church leaders conference, a pastors and leaders conference. He said, really? What do you talk about? At one of those conferences I said, <laughs> Okay, Lord, I'm tired, but here we go. Help me. Put the words in my mouth. And guess what? We got into it, man. We began talking about Jesus. And Alfonso said, you know, I don't know. I just really think you could, I gave up on church, he told me. I, I think it doesn't really matter. You, could, you can pick your path and it leads. And we began to just talk about Jesus. And I began sharing with him. And we came around to the area to drop us off. And he goes, Oh no, I went into the wrong area of the airport. We gotta go back around. I thought, wow, God, you're so amazing. We just give me five more minutes with this guy. So around we went again. And uh, just, just challenged him. We got, we got to the stuff that matters. And I said, Alfonso, do you have a Bible? This is what I want. Can I pray for you? We prayed right in front. He said, you guys are genuine, man. He said, I thought, wow, what an amazing thing that he said to me. I just, uh, to Joan and I, he said, there's something about you guys. You guys are genuine. And I thought, wow. And so we speak heaven's language because we enjoy talking about Jesus. I love it when any one of us sit down or coffee or our men's group on Tuesday morning, whatever it is, we talk about Jesus. You know, John addressed this in 1 John. He said this in chapter four, verse five and six. Speaking of those in the world, 
He said, they're from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. I love, John's got this ability to just help you discern. So this is how you know the spirit of truth and this is how you know the spirit of error. If you have Jesus, if they don't listen, they're not there. Now, I would say this. It doesn't mean that the, the spiritual person goes around quoting the Bible verses all day. Those people are annoying, aren't they? Just go around quoting Bible verses all day. But no, what it means is this. Is it means is that you, you speak in a way, you're careful to speak in a way that glorifies God. Here's another factor. We think of the outworkings of the kingdom and some of the stuff Paul's been saying. We have to obey heaven's laws. Citizens of Philippi were governed by Roman law. The interesting thing about Philippi was that it was like hundreds of miles from Rome and, and the Roman Empire. It was this little outpost that was there. And in fact, uh, Paul, who who was first arrested in Philippi and locked up there, used his Roman citizenship to his advantage to guarantee his own protection under Roman law. And so Paul, Paul's warning is this. He's like, be careful about which citizens you're imitating, the citizens of which, which country. We're to obey heaven's laws. Verse 17, he says, uh, join in imitating me. And Paul's point was this, that he was following Christ. And so he says this, I'm a safe example because I'm seeking to follow Jesus. And his life was governed by heaven's laws. That's what made him different. He, he, was, he was concerned about serving other people and, and serving Jesus and not himself. He was, he was interested in giving, not getting. He was interested in serving others and he was motivated by love, not hatred, not a desire to control. He wanted to follow the example of Jesus. And Paul obeyed the word of God, knowing that, that one day in heaven, he would be rewarded because he lived by heaven's laws. You know, people might oppose him. They might persecute him. But he knew that when the final day came, he would be counted in Christ. And it's true in our day as well, as it was in Paul's day. That there, that there are those who do this. They profess to be citizens of heaven, but then their lives don't show it. Their lives don't conform to, to the look of the kingdom, the laws of the kingdom. They might even be pretty busy, you know, zealous. Their religious activity might be pretty fervent, but there is no evidence of the control of the spirit. We want to be those who are controlled by the spirit. And there are those who profess Christ, but then all they do is energized by the flesh. And who gets all the glory? They get all the glory, not Jesus. And going astray, they lead others astray. And this is why Paul was weeping, because he was seeing this happen in the church. You've got to watch out for this. And so he, said, so he said, obey heaven's laws, conform to that. And then I think he says this in here, that we're to be loyal to heaven's cause. You know, the cross of Jesus is the theme of the Bible and it is, the, the cross of Jesus is the heart of the gospel. 
The cross is, is proof of God's love for sinners and it's proof of God's hatred for sin. It's twofold. It's proof of his love for sinners and it's proof of his hatred for sin. And the cross, just like it intersects our whole calendar, BC and AD, the cross intersects life and it condemns the value system of this world. It, the cross judges mankind and it pronounces the verdict of guilt upon all humanity. And Paul, contra he's contrasting here those who are loyal to heaven's cause with those who, who are called enemies of the cross. Now I think, well, what makes them enemies of the cross? Well, the cross was the end of Old Testament religion. The cross was the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament was pointing to. When Jesus died on that cross and the veil was torn in two, God was announcing that the way was open. That the way to heaven and into his presence was open through Jesus Christ. And we know what Jesus cried out on the cross. He said, it is finished. It is finished. One sacrifice paid the price for all of man's sin. And the cross is the work by which the Lord performs a spiritual circumcision on the heart of mankind. The cross destroys the wall of division that exists between Jew and Gentile, between man and his God. And so when Paul talks about enemies of the cross, he's speaking of those who are, I would say, rebuilding the wall. Those who are trying to stitch the curtain back together by their actions. Insisting on regulations that appeal to the flesh. Things that the spirit of God was not directing. They were, their minds were set on earthly things. And if the cross is central to the heart of the Bible, and if the cross is central to the heart of God's plan, then we cannot glory in our own achievements. We're loyal to the cross. We're loyal to Jesus. We're loyal to the man who was nailed to the cross for us. We look, we are loyal to the cause of heaven. And then lastly, Paul says this. He, he says, I, I think we're, we're looking for heaven's Lord. We're looking for the coming of the Lord. The enemies of the cross, they're living in the past. They're looking backwards. They were trying to get the Philippians, turn, go back. Let's go back to Moses. Let's go back to the law. But true followers of Jesus don't live in the past. They are looking forward. They are looking to Jesus, who the scripture says is the author and perfecter of our faith, anticipating his return, watching for his coming. You know what the Bible says about Abraham? That Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and, and foundation layer was God. So much so that he was content to live in a tent his whole life. I'll live in a tent because I'm looking forward to the kingdom of God. The scripture says of Moses that he was looking for rewards in heaven and he was content to turn on his riches and turn on the treasures of this earth to gain heaven. Of Jesus, the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and scorned its shame. The citizens of heaven are looking for the return of the Lord. That's where they're, 
where their direction, their focus is. And naturally, it affects the way that you live in the present. Reminds me of the parable of the talents. You know, that parable where the, the three servants are given 10, 5, and 1 talent or whatever it was. And, and not knowing when their master would return, but looking forward to that return, they were to get to work in the present. And who was condemned in that story? It was the one who was not putting to work that which God had given him. You know, our salvation is not works-based, but it is works-oriented. We should be getting to work for the kingdom of God. And so we don't live for this world, but we seek to live in a way that anticipates the world to come and the coming of Jesus and lives as a citizen of heaven. And when Jesus comes again, as Paul says, he will do this. He will transform this lowly body. You looking forward to the upgrade? <laughs> we will be glorified. We will receive, Paul says, a body like Jesus. At that moment, I mean, it'll be so clear to us. Right now, the world's got its pull and its tug on us and it's, the dogs are seeking to bite us, chasing us down. But at that moment, things will be clear. The things of this world, the resume, the toys, the this, the that, it'll be worthless and we'll recognize it. And so what is the call of this text? As, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, it's this. Live in the future tense. Exercise a spiritual mind by living for things that matter. Let me ask you this this morning. It's a tough question. At least it is for me. Are you living for the things that matter? Are you living for the things that matter? Verse 21, actually let's read 20 and 21 again. It says this, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even enables him even to subject all things to himself. That means this, that when Jesus comes, everything's going to be in its proper order. Everything. And so living for the future means to be living with the eternity's values and and views. Can you go back one slide there, Calvin? I don't have that outline right in front of me, so I want to are our names on heaven's record. Let's speak heaven's language. Let's obey heaven's laws. Let's be loyal to heaven's cause and let's look for the coming of our Lord. Amen? Let's pray this morning. Would you guys stand with me? I invite the worship team to come.